0: Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, every time there is a conflict in or around Israel, many see this as a sign of the quickly approaching end times. Today on our program, we've got many signs, if people wanted to see it that way, that we are approaching the end times. We've got a late breaking news coming out of Israel, don't we?
1: We do, Jimmy, and these current events, these things that are taking place, are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, and they they are happening left and right all over the Middle East and Europe. Jimmy, we have some news coming out of Israel, and we're going to start with our Middle East news update this week. And in order to do that, we have our good friend Dave Dolan. He's a journalist, and he's going to be with us today. Dave, thank you for being with us.
2: Happy to do so, Rick.
1: Well, we will begin, David, with a terrorist attack, a heartbreaking moment in the city of Jerusalem. Can you give us the details?
2: Yes, Rick. It happened last evening after synagogue services, Shabbat services in northeast Jerusalem in the Neve Yaakov neighborhood. A Palestinian driving a car in front of the synagogue suddenly opened fire with a handgun, apparently. That's what initially is thought, and killed at least eight people and wounded around 12, some of them in critical conditions, so the death toll will probably rise. That's the worst terror attack in Israel in uh, several years at least, Rick. I I can't even think back how long it's been since we've had that many killed in uh, one incident. The security forces immediately went after the man. He tried to escape the scene, flee the scene. They shot at him and killed him. And earlier in the day, of course, rockets were fired from the Gaza Strip at uh, Ashkelon, the, the coastal city of Ashkelon. The Iron Dome intercepted them, and the IDF went into action and hit several Hamas positions. Hamas immediately praised uh, the Friday evening terror attack, saying it was justified because of what had happened on Thursday, which we'll talk about in the north of Samaria. But a very, very serious situation. Israel's on full security alert, definitely not a quiet Sabbath in the Lord's land
1: certainly a time for prayer for jerusalem and for israel well david you talked about this and you said this is in response to an attack in the north let's
3: talk about that
2: yes rick we had the largest uh, single death toll in an israeli raid in quite a few years uh on uh, thursday morning when idf both police and border police joined by the army and actually the secret service the bed also was involved when they went into Jenin in the north of uh, Samaria, where, as you know, we've been discussing it all year, uh, well, for the last year, uh, lots of activity, a resurgence of Palestinian terrorism, Islamic Jihad in particular, setting up a new terror group up there, and Hamas supporting it, et cetera. We've had a lot of clashes, but this was a, a raid, early morning raid. The Israelis apparently went in, a, disguised in a refrigerator truck, But some of the Palestinians became suspicious because they knew that some action was being planned because the Israelis say the Palestinians were planning more terror attacks and they went up to a particular house. There were four men at least inside. Three of them were wanted for planning another attack. A firefight ensued and um, two of the wanted men were killed one escaped and he was later captured by the Israelis and Rick this is a real break because they have a live person now to interrogate to find out exactly what was being planned where they were planning to apparently do some bombings because the Israelis discovered in the house Several uh, newly constructed bombs that they destroyed and uh, then a fourth person in the house also was got involved in the firefight and he was killed. Then other Palestinians joined in the crossfire. The Palestinians say uh, at least two civilians were killed including an elderly lady who was caught up in the crossfire. And around eight gunmen in the end were killed with several others just clinging to life in hospitals. So a major confrontation. The Israelis didn't lose any personnel that we've heard of, although an Israeli drone over the refugee camp there was uh, photographed uh, being shot down by the Palestinians. It, uh, they shot at it two or three times, finally hit it, and you can see it coming straight down into the camp. Um, Of course, the Palestinian Authority immediately condemned the raid, uh, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, et cetera, et cetera, all condemning it very strongly. And most importantly, Rick, Thursday evening, the Palestinian Authority, after a day of violence, I might add, all over the place and more troubles expected uh, over the weekend, The Palestinian Authority leaders met. That was after the Israeli top security leadership met. And the PA announced it was breaking all security cooperation with Israel, all formal security cooperation. Now, this isn't the first time, Rick, they've done that. It was uh, in 2020 they did, but uh, it lasted about five months. But it is a very, very serious development because it means there won't be Uh, Any coordination between the IDF, Israeli police and Palestinian security forces, if the PA refuses that, there won't be any. And that, of course, leaves a lot of potential for more trouble, for more gaps in the situation. And the Israelis are not very happy about that. But these terror cells are operating and they're planning these attacks. Already 30 Palestinians have been killed in various clashes just this month alone. Last year, over 40 Israelis were killed. So things are heating up and there's a question now of of, is this going to become a new Palestinian uprising will become a hot war and all this Rick with Ramadan the Muslim fasting month coming up in late March and again this year coinciding with Passover that doesn't happen very often and also actually Easter this year so there's going to be a lot of uh, security attention over the next few months and the potential for some pretty major eruptions.
1: Well, David, all this is taking place right now, and in the midst of that, uh, we're getting a a visit from Secretary of State Blinken to Israel. How is that going to change it or affect things that might take place this weekend?
2: Well, actually, Rick, it was announced just hours after the Israeli raid in the north of Samaria, so that was interesting. But Lincoln is supposed to arrive on Sunday in Israel, meet with the prime minister and other senior officials, meet with Mahmoud Abbas and other Palestinian officials. He's also going to Oman and to uh, Cairo, which, by the way, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu made a surprise visit to Oman on Tuesday and met with King Abdullah. They discussed the security situation, obviously. The head of the Shin Bet was there as well. And uh, they discussed the Temple Mount, which I know you and I are going to talk a little bit more about. So um, a lot going on, and there's a hope that with Blinken coming, the Palestinians may be a bit more restrained in their response. But people are pretty riled up, and the um, footage of the firefight is being shown all over the Palestinian media and social media and calls for, you know, renewed jihad and stepped-up violence and this sort of thing are going on. And like I said, the uh, head of the um, Palestinian Authority, Abbas, made a very strong statement. He said it was a premeditated crime and a slaughter that the Israelis carried out. Well, you know, the Israelis' response is, you stop bombing us, you stop plotting these terror attacks, and we'll stop these actions. So that's the situation. Blinken walks right into the middle of that, and it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. But, of course, he's mainly coming, to. Uh, he says, or his office says, promote the Arab Israeli peace process and try to get talks started. Well, obviously, <laughs> that's not going to be happening anytime soon.
1: Well, David, everything that takes place in Israel these days has got to be uh, prefaced by saying there's a new government and that is basically changing the dynamics of the situation or seemingly changing the dynamics of the situation. A couple guys that we have talked about on this program quite a bit, Smoltrik, who is now uh, taking on extra authority in the area of Judea and Samaria and maybe changing that, and then Ben Gavir, who has been very adamant that he is going to continue to visit the Temple Mount. Can you talk about those two guys and how their impact on the government is impacting this situation?
2: Yeah, Rick, uh, Smoltric met with Netanyahu and the um, defense minister, Yoav Galan, to the justice minister, Yariv Levin, on Tuesday to discuss the new changes that Smotrich is bringing into the Defense Ministry. As I've said before, he now has an office in the Defense Ministry, even though he's Finance Minister overall, and he wants to take control of all of the civil activities in Judea and Samaria involving the Jewish citizens of that area, around a million overall, and the pavement of roads, building of new homes, all of that now goes through the army. He wants it to go through his division inside the defense ministry. Well, I can tell you the defense minister is not real thrilled with that, Gallant. Neither are many top senior Israeli officers. They don't like what they're seeing in that realm. And, of course, it's being condemned all over the world. The European Union said this is a de facto annexation of those Jewish areas of Judea and Samaria, around 60% of the land overall and that this shouldn't be happening. So that's the controversy there. And then with Ben-Gavir, it's, of course, his focus is the Temple Mount. He was up there earlier this month, as I noted, and there was a lot of negative reaction to that in the Arab world, the Muslim world. But he reacted to the uh, meeting of Netanyahu and Abdullah in Amman on Tuesday. Uh, where a statement was issued that the status quo must continue, and uh, the Jordanians in particular emphasized that, we don't want to upset anything that's already there, don't do anything, etc. He responded saying, I intend to go back up to the Temple Mount whenever I want. He's the new police minister, essentially. He said, I manage my own policy concerns, not that of the Jordanian government. So that was a bit of a slap in the face at the Jordanians, and we'll see how they react. But, of course, Ben Gavir as head of the police, that's also not being very well received by a lot of senior police officials and, uh, and paramilitary border police officials. So these two men are definitely on the right. They're definitely asserting their control. Many say that Netanyahu, while pledging to be in overall control of his government's policy— has really sold out to these two men and uh, that they will have way too much authority in his new government. The U.S. is warning about that as well. So we'll see what happens.
0: Rick, we got to take a break. But when we come back, I want to ask Dave a little bit more about Ben Gavir and Smoltrich. And does Netanyahu really have control of this government? We're going to take a break and we'll be right back here on Prophecy Today weekend.
4: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Russia rains missiles on Kyiv, killing at least 11 because the West promised more weapons to Ukraine. The Kremlin says arming Ukraine equates to direct involvement in the war, something the U.S. and Europe deny. Unfolding word partners with churches in and around Ukraine to translate God's word into Romani languages. Believers say it's difficult to work during wartime, but not impossible. You can stand with them at missionnews.org. An American missionary pilot, Ryan Coe, is still in prison in Mozambique, but his wife, Annabelle, heard his voice on the phone for the first time in 11 weeks. Ryan is a pilot with Mission Aviation Fellowship. He was arrested while preparing to transport orphanage supplies and was falsely accused of supporting terrorism. On Tuesday, Annabelle and their two boys were overjoyed to finally speak with Ryan. He said he's been encouraged by Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship. Join us in praying for his freedom. Mission Network News is Service of One Way Ministries. On I'm Ruth Kramer.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with Rick, we're looking at current events as they pertain to Bible prophecy. You know, I started out this program, Rick, by talking about conflict. And sometimes we use that as signs of how close that we are getting to the end times. The problem with this is that we may eventually tire of the conflict in Israel. And we focus on Israel so much so that we will not recognize when true prophetically significant events occur. Conflict in Israel is not necessarily a sign of the end times, but we do focus on it, and we are focusing from all aspects of what takes place with the Palestinian people living in the areas of Judea and Samaria and the government.
1: Jimmy, conflict, if you are going to say conflict is evident in the world today, it is evident all over the world, but it is certainly evident in Israel, it's certainly evident in Israeli politics, seems to be what is driving Israeli politics these days, and maybe even more more so than any other time in history, according to some people, but, uh, Jimmy, Dave Dolan has stayed with us through the break, and I wanted to ask him this question, and I'm building on the last question, because we've talked about the conflict that was with uh, these two ministers, these two uh, supposedly right-wing ministers that are making changes uh, to the way Israel's government is going to work, and I wanted to ask him, Benjamin Netanyahu, the newly elected prime minister, needed to make concessions to put together his government. These coalitions, they come together there's negotiations, but he insisted the whole time that he was in charge. But there are many that think that this new right-wing government is the one that is pushing the strings. Dave, I'm going to ask you to pull off your, maybe pull off your journalistic hat and put on your opinion, your analysis hat, and let me know who is in charge of this government.
2: He's in charge, Rick, but he's mainly focusing on keeping control over the overall security policy of the state, uh, how it views Iran, how it deals with Hamas, these sorts of things. And also he's involved in some of the Justice Ministry proposed reforms that we've talked about over the past few weeks. But in other areas, he has ceded a lot of control to these three uh, religious parties that are part of his coalition. And in fact, the media's reporting, and it's been quoted, some of them, many Likud party officials and leaders feel that way as well, that the six-week negotiations to form the government, uh, Netanyahu started out by saying, I'm in total control, and he ended up by saying that, but the reality on the ground was that he gave up some pretty important areas of power, particularly with Judea and Samaria, uh, to these uh, to these men and the running of the police. So um, there is a controversy there within the Likud itself. And uh, we'll have to see how he does. He's a strong leader. Netanyahu, he's well-known. He was well-received by Abdullah. They're old friends. He's known Biden forever. So on the diplomatic and world stage, he's definitely in control but we'll have to see how much he has actually seated inside the country. And by the way, the Israeli president was uh, speaking to the European Parliament this week to mark International Holocaust Day, which was yesterday, Rick. And as I've said before, the Israelis marked that in April, not in January. The liberation of Auschwitz is what this one marks. But he said, we're committed to equality. We're committed to, you know, everybody having their rights. We're not intending to violate any of that. But the president of the European Parliament Roberta uh, Matsola made a statement saying that we share values with uh, you and we have a lot in common and we support your right to exist, really positive statements, but then she said we warn that these values can never be taken for granted. So she was apparently indirectly warning that she and they are concerned, and they've already expressed that. So um, these two men are colorful, uh, but they are definitely on the on the pretty far right, and uh, even many in the Likud, as I said, are not so happy about it.
1: Very interesting times in Israel right now. We cover the political because it sets the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled, and that's one of the lines that we use on this program. I think in this situation, these political events are taking place so fast right now, truly is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled, isn't it?
2: It is indeed, Rick, and we can only thank the Lord for that. Distressing news, but the Lord warned us we would have a lot of distressing news in the very last days, but it ends with uh, his kingdom ruling all over earth. So that's our great hope, and it's what uh, we cling to in these days.
0: Great job, David. Thanks for giving us our Middle East news update. It's a tough time in Israel for sure. And we'll talk more about that with Israel Madad coming up here in a moment. But before we get there, usually we start our program with Ken Timmerman. He covers geopolitics around the world and the European Union for us.
1: Ken Timmerman joins us. He's our expert on geopolitical affairs. He joins us regularly. Ken is the author of the book and the rest is history. The tales of hostages armed dealers dirty tricks and spies it's a great read if you get a chance you might want to look into that ken thank you for joining us today
6: Uh, thanks for having me rick it's a pleasure
1: ken as always there's so many things taking place in the news today we're going to start with iran and there is an analysis that has come out basically saying that they have enough nuclear fuel to build several atomic bombs
6: Well, what's interesting about this, Rick, we talked about this last week coming from private analysts, but this week we've heard an analysis from the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency. Frankly, I don't think I have ever seen this type of declaration from an IAEA chief in the past. He said that what Iran now has as 60 percent uranium is enough should they enrich it just a little bit further, and it is really just a bit further to weapons grade, it's enough for probably three or four bombs. That is an official statement from the IAEA, uh, pretty extraordinary, pretty alarming.
1: Two of the uh, basically people that this bomb might be intended for would be the great Satan, the United States, and the little Satan, which they refer to as Israel. We take a look at that. Israel and the United States has just wrapped up some joint training exercises, essentially sending a message to Iran, Correct.
6: Uh, Sending a message to Iran and also sending a message of reassurance to uh, Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and others. Uh, Now, this is a really significant exercise. It is the largest ever joint drill that the U.S. has had with Israel. We've had joint training exercises for around 20 years, but this is the first time ever that we have had an interoperability Uh, test, which means where the uh, U.S. and Israeli fighters are in the same formations, where radar centers are linked together, uh, where it's basically a combined arms uh, exercise uh, with both armies merged together. We've never seen that before. It's called a Jupiter Oak 2023. There was something like 6,400 U.S. troops, 140 aircraft, 1,500 Israeli troops. Big deal. It's a big deal. And while they did not explicitly simulate an attack on Iran, I think everybody got the message.
1: And there are some, especially experts on the Israeli side, that are saying that if they don't attack now, they may not have the upper hand in the future. Is that true?
6: Yes, it is, Rick. And and again, these are extraordinary statements that we're hearing. Uh, this is from a former head of the Israeli Navy, General Eliezer Marom. I interviewed him a number of years ago about an Israeli naval operation to interdict arms going to the Palestinians in Gaza. Uh, And he's now retired. But he told an Israeli TV network this week that the clock is ticking and we will have to do it sooner than later because Iran has passed the threshold of obtaining a nuclear weapon. That's because of this stockpile of 60 percent enriched uranium.
1: Well, Ken, I know that you're at the airport and I appreciate you getting in touch with us today because more than ever, we need your insight and wisdom as things go on. But uh, I appreciate the background noise. Well, let's move on to Russia and the Ukraine. And it looks like despite losses that Putin and Russia have suffered over the last year and we're almost at the year mark of this Ukrainian crisis, they continue to push on.
6: Uh, They do continue to push it on. And Russia has this much heralded new offensive that everybody's waiting for sometime between now and March. But the Ukrainians uh, also have uh, announced just this past week extraordinary losses that the Russians have undergone. Now, you've got to take that with five grains of salt, okay? because it is coming from the Ukrainians. But they've said that the Russians have suffered over 120,000 casualties. Now, that's dead and wounded. But 120,000 people taken off the battlefield. They've lost 200 aircraft, combat jets. They've lost over 200 uh, helicopters, over 1,200 artillery pieces. Uh, it's really huge losses. But Ukraine is now gearing up for that offensive. This uh, in these coming months, and I can guarantee you, it's going to be bloody.
1: Ken, we heard a lot about tanks being sent to Ukraine, and Germany was kind of opposed to sending those tanks. Can you tell us what that whole story was about and what that situation uh, involved?
6: Sure. When we left this off last week, Rick, the Germans were still in a waiting mode. They were not ready to approve the sale of Leopard 2 tanks, which are their own—that's what they make in Germany. And they were not ready to approve the sale of Leopard tanks that they had sold uh, to places like Spain, uh, Holland, Poland, and elsewhere. But over the weekend, a deal was made with the U.S. and Germany where Germany would sell some tanks, release some tanks into Ukraine, and the U.S. would also send 31 Abrams tanks, which are more advanced, more complicated, and more difficult to maintain than the Leopards. These tanks, ours, ours should arrive in about three to four months. The leopards are said to be operational that they will be operational in 3 months. Will it be in time for the, this next offensive? Anybody's guess.
7: Rick,
0: we got to take a break and when we come back, Ken, I want to ask you about the F16s. There are senators that want to give F16s to Ukraine. This seems like a major escalation. We'll find out more about this in one moment when we come back right here on Prophecy today weekend. <laughs>
5: Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy to understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end times prophecy book that God has preserved in his scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy. Today I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. along with Rick. We're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick focusing on the European Union that is part of that revived Roman Empire first mentioned in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 2, that's the the statue that Nebuchadnezzar when he had his dream, Daniel interpreted it. This is the feet, the mixture of iron and clay and the 10 toes. In Daniel chapter 7, this is that terrible beast with the the ten heads, and the little horn that comes up. So we do know that this is the basis for the Antichrist. This is where he's going to uh, have his power base in the future, during the tribulation period, and the world to come. And I think it's important today, as we continue on with Ken, we're going to be talking about immigration, Muslims immigrating into, into Europe, and I'll focus on that in a moment. But I'm really glad that
1: Ken joined us from where he is. That's right, Jimmy, and I do appreciate the fact, Ken, that you are in an airport and that does affect the sound quality, but the information is great and we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to us. There are some senators, some U.S. senators, calling for the United States to give Ukraine F-16s. This seems like a major escalation. Is this a good idea?
6: Rick, we are already way past the initial escalation. The delivery of tanks is going to make this a much more deadly offensive Force in Ukraine, it is what they need if they are going to try to push the Russians out of Ukrainian territory. F-16s would be yet another escalation. I am not certain that the Ukrainian pilots can transfer from Soviet-type aircraft to American-standard aircraft quickly. But the senators you mentioned, Lindsey Graham and Blumenthal, and others are also calling for the delivery of ATACMS attack missiles. These are Used with those HIMAR modern mobile rocket systems, but they're much longer range. They're they're almost a 200-mile range, and that allows the Ukrainians to hit Russia's supply lines, which is something the Russians are very afraid of.
1: Well, Ken, we appreciate the fact that you are at an airport, but you have taken your time to call in. Uh, We continue to talk about this Russia-Ukraine crisis. And the European Union is now saying that Russia is shifting away from the Ukraine and starting to focus on NATO and the West.
6: Well, this is obviously something that the EU is worried about. They don't want to see this war expand deeper into Europe, further west into Europe. As of now, Ukraine is not remember, a NATO member, but we are supporting them as if they were a NATO member. And it's got a lot of people uh, in the EU worried, understandably worried, because look, once you get to uh, the level of support that we have now, giving them tanks, possibly aircraft in addition, this is how war escalates from a conventional war to something far, far worse. And the Europeans are for sure very worried about it.
1: Well, Ken, let's move away from Russia and the Ukraine crisis, and we haven't talked about Turkey in a while. We occasionally do, but now it's about time for elections to be held, and President Erdogan there is uh, beginning to look at a third decade in power in Turkey. Can you tell us about that? Is this going to be a real election? Is he actually in jeopardy?
6: Uh, it will be interesting to see because the Turks have had real elections. Of course, there are elections with, with various parties and foreign states' thumb on the scale. But this will happen in May. And in, if history is any guide, Erdogan will need to deliver some economic stability and growth to the Turkish people if he is going to have an easy re-election. The Gulf states, who have had a great deal of issues with Turkey... Uh, over the past couple of years, they're not happy with Erdogan's support for ISIS and for Islamic groups in Syria. They recently have pumped a lot of money into the Turkish economy. So that's one thing in his favor. The Russians have also been uh, politically very much backing Turkey. And uh, we know the, Russia, the Russians have very sophisticated uh, cyber capabilities, and they may be able to use those to enhance his uh, chances in this election the United States is a little bit more uh, on the fence. Uh, most analysts, uh, and myself included, would like to see somebody other than Erdogan in power in Turkey. We do not believe he's been acting like a NATO ally. And just this week, he told the Swedes and the Finns that he was going to continue to block their efforts to join NATO. So uh, this is a an election which I, I suppose you could say is going to enhanced stability in Turkey, but it isn't good for NATO. It isn't good for the U.S. It isn't good for the region as a whole.
1: And as we look at this, Ken, we follow Turkey, but we also follow Syria and their interaction there. And it looks like Syria has become Erdogan's Achilles heel.
6: Uh, Well, he's been losing troops in Syria, and he's had a hard time being able to break up uh, Rojava, the Syrian Kurdish area in uh, northern Syria. That has been his goal for many, many years. And by the way, again, to further that goal, he's now trying to cozy up to Assad, who has been uh, essentially on the opposite side of this war in northern Syria from Turkey for a number of years. His goal, remember, Erdogan's goal is to crush the Kurds. That's what he wants to do in northern Syria. And there is also a historic area. The Syrians are former vassals, if you wish, of the Ottoman Empire. So the Syrians are not they do not look towards Erdogan with a great deal of reassurance or support. They see him as a potential you know, emperor uh, just to the north, someone who has a historic tie to all of Syria all the way through Lebanon.
1: Well, Ken, again, we appreciate you getting with us on your travel day here. You are at an airport, and so some of, those, some of the listeners can hear that background noise, but we appreciate you. There are so many things taking place around the world. They all work together to shape the world that is today plus the prophetic future. We appreciate what you do. Safe travels, Ken, and we look forward to talking to you again soon.
6: Thanks so much for having me, Rick, and putting up with the background noise. And you can always go to my website, KenTimmerman.com, to look at my books and uh, get on my email list. God bless.
0: That's KenTimmerman.com if you want to get on his newsletter or find out more about his book. And I would suggest that you do that. Let me remind you again that we focus on the European Union because that is the revived Roman Empire. That must come back together, that the Antichrist will use as his power base and so we focus on these nations that are involved but there are also nations in ezekiel 38 the alignment of nations that will come together and gog at this very moment of gog and magog the battle of gog and magog of ezekiel 38 gog at this very moment would be vladimir putin and that's why we focus on these nations and give you an opportunity to to understand What's happening around the world? Geopolitical issues concerning our world today, and how that uh, fits in to Bible prophecy. Well, now we're going to go to Winky Madad or Israel Madad, as he officially is known, but Winky Madad uh, and Rick. Uh, I want to find out more about what Winky thinks is taking place, not only in Judea and Samaria, but with the government and Prime Minister Netanyahu. Winky Madad joins us today. He is our frequent guest. He's a frequent contributor to this program.
1: He's the former mayor of Shiloh. He's a man in the know in politics in Israel. Winky, thank you for joining us.
7: Thank you very much for having me on again.
1: Well, Winky, as we... Talked in our previous segment, we talked to Dave Dolan, he gave us an update on what's kind of going on, kind of an overview of what's taking place in Israel right now. I just wanted to talk to you to kind of get a man-on-the-street perspective from somebody who lives in the area of Judea and Samaria, You live in Shiloh, you live in what the world might call the West Bank, and obviously that's a very interesting place to be now at these times, but I've been listening to some people from Israel podcasts, different things like that, say that this is a time with this election of this new government, some of the changes that are taking place, this is a time like no other in Israel. Can you tell me if that's how you feel and why they may feel like that? And and what's your take on the overall situation?
7: Well, it's, it's kind of difficult to be, you know, 100% objective on this. And I'll give you just one example. We've just had elections, right, at the beginning of November those parties to the right have a solid 64-seat majority in the Knesset. And on several issues, they could probably pull up to another half a dozen or so people over, depending on the issue. So, you know, not everybody is uh, completely on, on the left or the right. There are people sort of who will go over. And the first thing I can say is, obviously, there's a bunch of people here who don't think the government is legitimate. You know, we just had elections. Most of the issues, in fact, all of the issues that that are now bothering some people, were on the agenda. They were spoken of. Not only that, the most, can I say, feeding the frenzy and the fire issue, the so-called judicial reform, has been on the public agenda, high or low, for the last quarter century. Since 1992, 93. And we've even had American judicial law professors and and, and outstanding jurists in the American system criticizing Israel's judicial system. So it's not as if we just had a coup d'etat and the forces of darkness have taken over. But that's the way it's being portrayed. And it's affecting people in the media who are coming very heavily over onto the side of uh, those opposed to the government policies. The language being used, uh, including comparisons to fascist dictators and stuff like that. So uh, yes, the issue was is hot. The issue is boiling because we have now, the, they've returned to the demonstrations again that we had for the last like two years against Mr. Netanyahu. And it is a trying time.
1: Winky, it seems like there is so much polarization. And of course, here in the United States, we are no stranger to polarization. It seems like in the last uh, five or 10 years, it has been worse than it has ever been. Sometimes it almost seems like there's going to be, I don't know, an irreconcilable difference between the left and the right. Is that something that you see possibly happening there in Israel?
6: Well,
7: look. I also am a bit of a, I can't say a scholar, but I can say I'm a research expert. I'll I'll go that far, right? In the history of Zionism. And in the 1930s, we had Mr. David Ben-Gurion calling the head of the right wing in Israel at that time, Ze'ev Jabotinsky, Vladimir Hitler, and his party as the fascists. In the 1940s, The left-wing Palmach handed over resistance fighters from the right-wing parties, uh, the so-called Irgun and and the Stern group, over to the British. So I can say that this is something new. This has been ingrained in the politics of Israel uh, to one degree or another. When Mr. Begin came to power, he was denounced also very vociferously, and I think People were shocked when he got the Nobel Peace Prize. So I, I am not going down that road of, oh, my gosh, it's worse than it's ever been, or how come it's happening now? It's always been here, and I think it's because certain people in Israel's political body cannot accept the democratic vote in various elections that we had and simply will denounce and go out and demonstrate And garner economic power, foreign money and power in order to undo what the people of Israel, now over 9 million, went to the polls to elect. It
1: does seem kind of strange to me, and this is maybe a little bit of tongue-in-cheek commentary, but it does seem kind of strange to me that the only way to save democracy in Israel is to not allow the elected government to work in the way it's supposed to. And again, you mentioned it before about this judiciary in Israel, and there, there does need to be a reform. I'm not a smart enough man to know what kind of reform that takes, but they have kind of almost an unchecked power, it does not seem like it would be the end of democracy to uh, allow the democratically elected representatives to have their say, right?
7: I agree with you 100%. But I think the last time we spoke, I went into some detail about, for example, the head of the Shas party, Mr. Arya Dery, right, who was told by the Supreme Court, or Mr. Netanyahu was told by the Supreme Court, he has to fire him as a minister. Because why? Because they think he's not moral enough to fulfill the job. Now, as I pointed out then, I I want to repeat it because many people can get misled about our judiciary. There is no law in the books that says anyone who has served over one and a half years in jail for economic, sexual, or violent crimes cannot be a minister, right? If that law was on the books, perhaps Mr. Derry then would be an invalid candidate to be a minister, okay? Funny enough, he can be a member of Knesset, but he can't be a minister. Why? Because 15 or 14, actually, members of the Supreme Court were persuaded that it's not nice. Now, I think you and I have both grown up in playgrounds across America. Uh, sometimes... It's not nice, just doesn't work. There are rules. And if, if the rules are not clear, who makes the rules? The legislature, the parliament, the congress, whatever body elected that represents the people makes the laws. And in this case, there is no law. But they felt that they were uh, ethically moved not to do that. That just doesn't work. And, and that's what one just one issue of this judicial reform is all about.
1: It seems like much of the hand-wringing is coming from people who did not like the result of the democratic elections.
7: That's correct. Absolutely. Most of the policies of the of the non-Netanyahu governments in the past like 10, 15 years, the few that were in between, were not really that much different. Then Netanyahu himself mm-hmm. on some of the very basic issues, including security, including uh, allowing Jews to live in Judea and Samaria, etc., etc. So, So what's the fuss about?
1: Winky, you've seen many prime ministers come and go. You've seen Benjamin Netanyahu come and go a few times. Quick question here. If, In your opinion, is he in charge of this government? A lot of people are saying that he is beholden to all of these different coalition members that he has to kowtow to basically to get uh, to, to maintain and control power. Do you believe that he is in charge of the government or that those that are surrounding him that he had to give deals to maybe are the ones that are in charge?
7: Let me put it a short, sweet, but delicate answer. At this time, more than any other, he is... He is under intense pressure to get his coalition and keep them together and i still think he is definitely in charge but uh i think he's facing more pressure than ever before he's experienced but again he was elected in the elections were november 1st if i'm not mistaken okay he got his government together in mid december we're now Going at the end of January, I mean, even in America, they say, you know, give the guy the first hundred days, you know, a little bit of uh, maneuverability, uh, let him, you know, let him set settle down. Uh, no, well, not in Israel, as you know, things were very fast, hot and often here.
1: Well, my last question, Winky, and this one is a bit more of a personal question for you, but I know that you do live in the area that the world calls the West Bank. We tend to uh, talk about it in its biblical name, which is Judea and Samaria, and there are lots of things going on right now, security issues. The IDF is uh, working to try to reduce terrorist threats from the Palestinian area, which uh, I guess what I wanted to know, as uh, you're living in your day-to-day life, uh, do you feel safe? Is it safe? I know this is your mission. This is your commitment. You are committed to living there. So anyways, I just wanted to know how are you uh, making it through this and and what's your daily experience like?
7: Well, my daily experience, thank God, has been uh, very well. I'm not going to say that some of my neighbors have complained of having stones thrown at them. Uh, We have not suffered shootings in this area in the past few months at all, or a year or so, I'm thinking. But I can tell you this past week, there has been more of a raising of level of violence in certain areas, especially extending from the Jenin and and Nablus or Shkem area. This evening, I saw that the village next to Beitar Elite or Upper Beitar, which is in Judea, they had fireworks uh, fired at, at their community. It started some fires near the fence. Uh, they're getting bolder, can I say. Uh, there was an incident this week of uh, nine or ten uh, terrorists being killed in an operation uh, in and resulting demonstrators. There are clips you can see probably if you go on to Twitter and other places uh, or even Telegram for those who are advanced in Telegram where you can see them carrying guns, uh, the Arabs and shooting, uh, etc. So it's it's not, you know, a made up story, Uh, but uh, it's more than tolerable. I'm not worried on that aspect.
1: Well, we will certainly keep you in our prayers, Winky. We appreciate that you come on this program quite often and let us know what's taking place there. Stay safe, Winky, and we look forward to talking to you again soon.
7: Thank you very much for your blessings. And uh, again, to you and our audience, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.
0: We're carrying on the ministry of our father who for many years, actually 21 years, had done this program week after week trying to help the body of Christ to understand uh, and deal with issues that we're dealing with on a daily basis and examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word and dealing with other aspects. And one of our partners over the year has been Shram Hadian. Shram has a, he's got a great testimony and many of you have heard that testimony of how his family escaped out of Iran and uh, he's come, he's got a
8: ministry. Shram, welcome to the, uh, to the program today. Jimmy, thanks for having me on. It was always such a pleasure to be on with your dad, and mm. um, I'm I'm grateful to be on with you guys. Thanks for carrying on the legacy.
0: Thank you. Give us your ministry website.
8: Well, first of all, the, the, our website is uh, tilproject.com, uh, T-I-L for truth and love, project.com. And as you know, Jimmy, in our ministry, uh, being that I'm a former Muslim, we deal a lot with equipping the body of Christ to evangelism to Muslims, but we also deal a lot with... Exposing and teaching them about the ideology of Islam, and mm-hmm. in these last days that we are in, and we're seeing a rise of false religions, we're seeing a rise of of things like ecumenicalism and interfaith, and and I have, you know, covered that with your dad many times in the past as mm-hmm. far as the dangers of interfaith and ecumenicalism, and we see this 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 mm-hmm. movement towards the one world religion now with uh, all of these. Um, streams coming together, and Catholics and mm. and and, and uh, uh, Protestants and Muslims, and uh, let's all you know claim we're worship the same God. Right. One of the things that we very much um, equip believers here, because we are seeing a massive refugee resettlement now. Of course, under Biden, they've picked up. You know, under Trump, things had slowed down, but now under Biden, they've picked up again, and and they're and they're flowing into the West, into Western Europe, and into the United States. And unfortunately, this is where Christians do not understand Islam. The sad thing is, you have to vet someone who claims to be a Christian. Muslims are allowed to lie. They're allowed to lie about many, many things. We, we, the the doctrine is called Takiyah or kitman or Maruna. Mm. They're allowed to alter their appearance. They're allowed to lie. And unfortunately, one of the things we're seeing now as a new tactic Is that Muslims will come and tell Christians that they claim that they're open to Jesus and they're open to becoming a christian now of course we don't want to dismiss this because we want to celebrate right, that right they're truly open mm.
0: sharam so in these days and as we understand it i do believe that uh, we do see the alignment of nations uh, the common denominator of these nations in ezekiel 38 and daniel 11 psalm 83 is that they're the islamic world they're islamic nations as they're coming against israel at that point in time in the future Do you see um, a more of a system, a worldwide system taking place that is, I mean, not only in Islam, but worldwide that is preparing for the Antichrist to come on the scene?
8: Uh, Without without doubt. I mean, even before the last 20 months or so with COVID and Mm. with everything that's happened globally, I had been saying that you know Islam has a global order. They have a they have a world order. They call it their Ummah. This is their Caliphate. And your dad and I talked about that many times. That we're witnessing the convergence of these Islamic nations, uh, the the organization of Islamic cooperation in the United Nations, largest body in the UN. Uh, 56 Muslim countries, and they throw in Palestine for 57, and I always joke that, you know, remember when Obama (laughs) was running, and he he said, we have 57 states, and people are like, what? What? Where did that number come from? (laughs) Well, maybe this is where it came from, right? Right. His allegiance is to Islam. (laughs) Interesting. But but so we we were talking about that even before, but now, now, what we witnessed in the last almost two years is absolutely a convergence. I believe Revelation mm. 13 is happening before our very eyes. The one world government, one world economy, the great reset, the the shift towards uh uh you know, removing uh, national sovereignty, going towards uh globalism, and then on top of that, the the, the movement towards the one world religion. Yeah. So I I believe that the the system now and then now you have all of these uh, the the monitoring and the tracking of people by governments where yep. you can't buy or sell. I mean, it's already there. We're seeing, I think, the the precursor to the mark in all these things, the preparation for controlling um, um, currency so it's all digitalized, so you can't buy or sell without some sort of a track, yep. mark, ID, whatever. Um, so I, I think we're right there, and I think as believers we have to understand the days are drawing close. We have to be bold. We have to stand our ground. The Lord is... Uh, Maintaining a remnant of his people who uh, have eyes to see what's going on, amen. And uh, knowing that the Lord's coming soon, th- this is absolutely preparing us for uh, the glorious uh, departure, and 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 are going home to be with the Lord in preparation for the Antichrist system, in preparation for the removal of the Holy Spirit from the earth. Uh, but we're still here, and we'll occupy. Till he takes us home and Amen. and and we still have to witness and we still have to wake people up and I wish that more churches were doing what your ministry is doing which is to teach on Bible prophecy is to teach and connect the dots I mean Ezekiel 38 like you said Psalm 83 Afghanistan falls to the hands of China mm. uh, you see Russia uh, you see Turkey you see the alignment of the geographical path that a, that a mighty army can march against Israel yep. it's already lining up I mean it's incredible it's incredible it's so a, i think we're absolutely there we got to prepare ourselves and make sure that we're not uh, deceived by any of the things that are going on
0: shram thank you so much and we're going to have you back because you have an absolute miracle story but folks Please pray for Sharam Hadian and his family. He's, un, uh, I mean, you talk about really being under attack by the Muslim world. Uh, he's he is going against them, and we have seen how the Muslim world reacts to anybody questioning Islam and uh, Muhammad and any of their the the beliefs that they have. So, uh, Sharam, one more time, the website uh, t
8: i l project for Truth and Love, and the word project dot com. Um, thanks. Thank you again for having me on, Jimmy. What what a blessing you your family has been to us. Uh, thank you, Sharam.
0: Well, I hope you have found this last half hour to be one that's been very productive. We talked to Ken Timmerman about the European Union, Israel Madad about what is going on in Israel and how he feels living there. But then, of course, with Sharam Hadian, we see the mindset of a world of a world that is in conflict. Conflict will continue. Until Jesus Christ comes back to the earth. Not at the rapture, but at his second coming. Well we're gonna take a break and when we'll come back, the legacy series, you're gonna hear more about this conflict between the Jews and the Palestinians. Right here on Prophecy Today weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Coming up momentarily is the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, and it's very appropriate for today's program. But Rick, we do have a trip to Israel.
1: Jimmy, that's right. We're going in March, March 8th to be exact. If you are interested, there still may be a seat. Can't guarantee that, but if you'd like to call and talk to me about it, call 423 423- get in touch with me and I'll see if we can take you to Israel in the coming months.
0: I think it's a great place, we always call it, a great classroom to teach the Word of God, to see Israel past, Israel present today, and Israel future. Well, this is our Legacy Series portion of the program, and as we are starting a brand new prophecy study, we will see that the Lord promised that two brothers would grow up and both become nations. Those two brothers, Jacob and Esau, the forefathers of these peoples, these two people groups, the Palestinians and the Jews. We will look at God's word for all that we need to understand and how this has played out down through the ages but first, however, Dr. DeYoung will explain today's Palestinian people and the Jewish nation of Israel. Remember, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung lived there for over 20 years of his life, beginning in 1991, three days after the first Gulf War started. Well, take your Bibles, turn with me to the portion of Scripture in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series.
3: The issues that we're looking at this week, perplexing prophetic problems, probably could have at the top of the list the resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It has become a very perplexing problem as far as world leaders are concerned. The Secretary General of the United Nations made a statement when he was first sworn in as that leader of the United Nations that his number one priority was to bring resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He believed that if he was able to do that, then there would be a peace operation in the Middle East that could come about. He has just accepted the beginning of his second term as Secretary General, and as of yet has not been able to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We can talk about president after president secretary of state after secretary of state peace envoy after peace envoy going into israel going into the area where the palestinians are located making other trips to the middle east trying to pull together uh, this peace process that would bring some type of an agreement at least a coexistence between the israelis and the palestinians we don't see that coming together i don't see it in the very near future of coming together as well. So we are not exactly sure what the situation is going to be as it relates to the future unless we go to the Word of God. And there in the Word of God, there is absolute evidence of when the resolution of the conflict is going to take place. Before I get into some of the history of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and the prophetic significance of how it is going to be resolved, let me just give you some Information that'll help you somewhat understand what is happening in the Middle East. Yasser Arafat is probably the one who popularized the Palestinian people. Yasser Arafat was born in Jerusalem, then his family moved to Cairo, Egypt. He became a student with a brand new Islamic terror organization called the Muslim Brotherhood. He was the first of their products to come out of their training there in Egypt. He first came into uh, a leadership role as the head of an organization, one of the Palestinian organizations, there are about 11 of them. His was named Fatah, F-A-T-A-H, and that is the uh, leading palestinian organization now for the palestinian authority his number one assistant, mahmoud abbas came to power after the death of yasser arafat in 1964 yasser arafat decided to put together a conglomerate of all of these palestinian organizations and he started the palestinian liberation organization the plo He was elected as chairman of the PLO. That was all in operation there in the state of Israel. When Israel finally forced him to leave Israel, he went across the Jordan River into Jordan. But one of the reasons he went over to Jordan is because at that time, about 60 percent of all the population of jordan was palestinian today it's almost 75 percent of the people of jordan are palestinian again with the son of king hussein king abdullah he still not a palestinian although he is married to a palestinian when yasser arafat went over into jordan because of the large population of palestinian people he endeavored to take over jordan You might recall, if you can think back that far, to September of 1970. It was referred to as Black September. And indeed, uh, the new organization under Yasser Arafat, Black September, who was responsible for the uh, massacre there in Germany, the Munich massacre at uh, the Olympic Games, the Palestinians killing the Jewish participants in the Olympic Games. But on September the 1st, 1970, King Hussein took his military... Military might, and he drove Yasser Arafat out of Jordan. He went into Lebanon. He was there for a number of years until the Israelis ran him out of Lebanon again. He went went to uh, Tunisia, and in Tunis, he became the leader of the Palestinian people, people in exile. When there was a signing of the peace treaty between the Israelis and the Palestinians, September the 13th, 1993, the Oslo Accords was signed, and that brought so-called peace or coexistence between the Israelis and Palestinians. Howbeit, uh, that particular peace agreement has never been normalized. It is not working. Uh, The Palestinians are still killing the Jewish people, even as we're standing here uh, talking to you about it this morning. Uh, And about 25 years ago, a blind sheik also from the Muslim Brotherhood came out of Egypt, came into the Gaza Strip. He established another part of the body politic of the Palestinian people called Hamas. Hamas is an Islamic fundamentalist terrorist organization. They have already implemented Sharia law in the Gaza Strip, which means the law of their land is according to the Quran, the Sharia law. So there are two counterparts of the Palestinian body politic today, Fatah and Hamas. Uh, they are at odds with each other the hamas people saying they never will recognize israel has a right to exist in the middle east and although fatah is similar in much of their philosophy as well uh, they are at least sitting at the negotiating are wanting to sit at the negotiating table endeavoring to try to coexist with the jewish people there is a possibility they're asking for a state they want their state back which is an ironic statement because the palestinian people never had a state From 1500 until 1900, the entire Middle East was controlled by the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Empire, and there was no Palestinian state. In 1917, the Brits defeated the Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire, and they then implemented uh, control of the Middle East, and there was no Palestinian state. There has never been a palestinian state we have believed a lie so long we now have accepted it as the truth uh, that the palestinian people deserve to have their state back and that uh, is ironic in fact that uh, they should ever be considered to have a state in the middle east The Palestinian people, uh, through their educational program, and they have universities throughout the Gaza Strip up in the northern part of uh, Jerusalem and Ramallah, they have uh, universities there, and they teach that they have a relationship back 2,000 years ago to King Herod. In fact, they call King Herod's temple their temple because Herod was one of them. Now we'll get to that in a moment Herod and Idumean and they claim that he was one of theirs he was they are descendants of king Herod And the temple, which was built by actually Zerubbabel and about 50,000 Jews who returned after the Babylonian captivity, did get the name Herod's Temple. Herod, John chapter 2, spent 46 years in refurbishing this second temple that was built in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, the rabbis would say 2,000 years ago, if you'd never seen Herod's Temple, you'd never seen a beautiful building any place in the world. You might remember that uh, Jesus Christ said that temple would be destroyed. And indeed, 40 years almost to the day after Christ made that statement, the Romans did take down that temple. Jesus making a statement there would not be a stone upon a stone. And that is the case. I've talked with every archaeologist that has ever had an opportunity to do uh, a study on the Temple Mount. There's not one stone upon a stone. In fact, the way we know anything about Herod's temple is because of an incident that took place about 150 years before the birth of Christ. 150 years before the birth, the temple was standing in the city of Jerusalem, and the high priest in the temple fell in love. He was not married at that time. He fell in love with a Samaritan woman. Now, Samaritan is half Jew and half Gentile, and according to Halakha law, the Jewish law, a priest or really no Jew is allowed to marry a Samaritan, but in particular, a high priest. While well, he was in love with this lady, her father came to him one day and said, Now, listen, Listen, if you will indeed marry my daughter, give up your high priesthood, I will replicate Herod's temple here in Samaria. He did that. And in fact, that's how we know anything about Herod's temple. Since there's not a stone upon a stone, I've been to the archaeological site. Every bit of information we know about Herod's temple is at that temple, that remains, the archaeological remains of that temple in Samaria. What is so interesting in john chapter 4 jesus was standing there by the well in samaria with the lady and what did she say to jesus now jesus you tell us that we're to worship at the temple in jerusalem our fathers tell us we're to worship at the temple here in samaria and so that temple was replicated and they claim that's the jewish temple in samaria uh, the palestinian temple is the one that was in jerusalem herod's temple that's somewhat of the background present day and a little bit of the history of the palestinian people but there's much more history that we need to cover take your bible and go with me if you will to the book of genesis chapter 25. you might notice that as i start to teach prophecy I continually go to the book of Genesis in essence Genesis is the foundation of all of Bible prophecy I have a series on the back table Genesis the foundation of Bible prophecy an appropriate title after what I just said Uh, but indeed it is the case we notice here in the 25th chapter, and this is a very important prophetic chapter if you're studying Bible prophecy, because it gives you the families of Abraham. Uh, we uh, looked uh, just briefly at, I, at uh, Ishmael, but again, if you go to Genesis chapter 25, you see the record of Isaac, his son of promise, the second born. Look here in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 25. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac was 48 years old when he took rebecca to be his wife rebecca was a syrian and they married and it came along that similar to isaac's mother his wife rebecca had a barren womb look here in uh, verse 21 and isaac entreated the lord for his wife because she was barren and the lord was entreated of him and rebecca his wife conceived not just a bit of humor here not really intended to be humor but you got to be careful how you pray because isaac was praying for a son to carry on his heritage and to get the uh promise the abrahamic promise passed along to him well he was praying for a son he probably overprayed. you got to be specific in your prayers and instead of having one son he's going to get two sons for the same price of that prayer and uh, she is now with child look at verse 22 and the children two of them This would be esau and jacob and the children struggled together within her and she said if it be so why am i thus and she went to inquire the lord she wanted to know why are these two boys within her womb struggling she needed to have some answers verse 43 uh, 23 is a very key verse put an asterisk beside the verse this is key to your understanding of what's going to happen in the future but indeed if isaac and rebecca had been paying attention it would been a lot easier as well. Look at verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. Rebecca was told by the Lord that she would give birth to two nations. We know today, these two nations are the Palestinian people and the Jewish state of Israel. Next week, we'll continue our study on how this has worked out down through the centuries, and our focus will be on the Word of God. I hope you can join us for that study. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and Legacy Series. Next week, we'll continue
0: looking at Jacob and Esau, the descendants of these two brothers, and who they are today. we got to take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will take a look at the book, right here on Prophecy Today weekend
4: i Kramer with Mission Network News. Iran charges 16 people with espionage because they participated in widespread protests. A 15-year-old girl and eight women are among those waiting to learn their fate. Meanwhile, two older teens received death sentences earlier this week. Public demonstrations have quieted since November. But Hart for Iran's Nazanin Baghestani says rage simmers below the surface. Ask God to intervene and stop the violence in Iran. And last year in the United States, public schools saw a rise in Satan clubs started by the Satanic Temple as an alternative to thousands of good news clubs run by Child Evangelism Fellowship. Many parents are taking their dissension to the school boards, but CEF spokesperson Lydia Kaiser says that sometimes when a school board kicks out a Satan club, they also kick out the good news clubs. CEF encourages parents and kids to get involved in your local good news club where kids can hear about Jesus. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer.
5: Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This is the time of the program that we take a look at the book. And I started out the program today talking about conflict, conflict in Israel. You know, conflict in Israel has been a reality, Rick. Whenever Israel has existed, As a nation, whether it was the Egyptians, the Amalekites, the Midianites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, Amorites, Philistines, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, or the Romans, the nation of Israel has always been persecuted by its neighbors. Why is this? And when we talk about it, Rick, according to the Bible, it is because God has a special plan for the nation of Israel and Satan wants to defeat that
1: plan. He certainly does, Jimmy, and we certainly see parallels in our own life as we look at the nation of Israel. When we're reading the Old Testament, we can look at it and we understand God had a plan for them. God has a plan for us as well. And just like when in the case with Israel, if they had
0: accepted his plan and obedience was the key to their plan. It sure is. Satanically influenced hatred of Israel, and especially Israel's, God Is the reason Israel's neighbors have always wanted to see Israel destroyed whether it be Saccharineb the king of Assyria Haman of of Persia which is modern-day Iran Hitler the leader of the Nazi Germany or Rouhani president of Iran Iran today we know attempts to completely destroy Israel will always fail the persecutors of Israel will come and go Rick but the persecution Will remain until the second coming of Christ. As a result, conflict in Israel is not a reliable indicator of the soon arrival of the end times. That's so aptly put, Jimmy. And as you look at it, we talk about it on this
1: program all the time. One of the things our our frequent uh, contributor Dave Dolan says, is it's all about whose God is God. And like you said, all of these nations surrounding Israel, looking at Israel, are challenging the fact that the, the, the God of the Jewish
0: people is the true God. However, the Bible does say that there will be terrible conflict in Israel during the end times. You know, we focus on it. We've seen it today. It's reared its ugly head again. Uh, and it has been. And this has been that way throughout history since the beginning of the Jewish people when Abraham came in and the promise and the blessing was given to him the covenants that God made with the Jewish people that is why the time period is known as the tribulation in the future it's called the tribulation the great tribulation the time of Jacob's trouble that comes from Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7 Alas, that day is so great. There is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. So when we look at all of these events, as we watch the news and what's taking place, we can understand, and really there are four areas that we look at pertaining to Bible prophecy. Do you remember those four, Rick?
1: Well, I certainly do, Jimmy, and we talk about it all the time. We talk about, and it's alliteration because that is what we liked, we talk about the Aliyah of the Jewish people or the return of the Jewish people to the land, anticipation for peace, and we talked about that from the book of Daniel, uh, the peace treaty on the table. We talk about the arrangements for the temple and the fact that the temple is getting ready to be built. That's one of the things we've talked about on this program many times. And finally, Jimmy, the alignment of the nations.
0: Yes. You know, Rick, we talk about there will be a mass return of the Jews to the land that's mentioned in Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Ezekiel chapter 34 talks about the Lord will regather his people. 36 talks about the land. Chapter 37, the vision of Valley of Dry Bones. The Antichrist, he will make a seven-year covenant with, uh, of peace with Israel. That's what begins the tribulation period. The temple that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem, Daniel 9, 27, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Jesus mentioned the temple. Paul talks about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And of course, John is told to measure that temple. The Antichrist will break his covenant with Israel and worldwide persecution of of Israel will result where two thirds of the Jewish people will be wiped out by Satan as he attacks along with the Antichrist and a false prophet, the people of Israel. And really, when we look at the alignment of nations that you talked about, that's why we focus on these nations Always, as we do our program, we're focusing on those nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38, Daniel chapter 11, and Psalm 83. And the common denominator out of all of these nations is that they're Islamic nations. So as we look at these things today... And we talk about the Temple Mount. We know that there is going to be a really a struggle for control of that Temple Mount. And I so liked uh, when David Dolan talked about that. And of course, Winky talked about uh, and, and when you talked about the minister of the police, the being able to feel free to go up there. There's a struggle that continues today, correct? That's right, Jimmy. We document it every week, but it continues to escalate
1: as, uh, as time goes on and, and building towards what's going to take place in the future.
0: There is a lot of turmoil in Israel today. Israel is persecuted, surrounded by enemies of Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, the Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah. But this hatred and persecution of Israel is only a hint of what will happen in the end times. Matthew chapter 24 verses 15 to 21 talks about those end times. The latest round of persecution began when Israel was reconstituted as a nation in 1948. I love how all of our broadcast partners always refer back to those dates. Even Israel Madad <laughs> I love the conflict even within Israel itself with the political government talking about Zev Jabotinsky and David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel. Rick, thank you so much. And as we focus on these things, we know that there will be a time... In the future, where prophecy will be fulfilled. But I like how you say it. What is it you say? Politics and everything sets the stage for prophecy to be fulfilled.
1: That's right, Jimmy. The stage is being set, but I'm so glad that we know how the final act of this play is going to turn out.
0: It sure does. Does it necessarily, all of this conflict, mean that the end is near? No. Jesus himself said it best. Watch out that no one deceives you. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen before, but the end is still to come. Rick, it looks like the rapture could happen today with everything that we're seeing, but it could be another 20 or 30 years. I doubt it, but we need to be living as if the rapture could happen in the next moment. Let's keep looking up. Until. Thank
5: you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.